Welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's a regular catch-up, or somewhat irregular at the moment, catch-up about the political stories we've been covering here on One News. I'm political reporter Benedict Collins. And I'm Jessica Much Mackay. Excellent. Hey, so it has been a while. Um, we've got a lot to cover off in today's podcast. What are what are some of the uh, interesting things that have been going on lately, Jess? Well, I think um, it has been a while, and one of those reasons has been um, we've had quite a large group of protesters sitting outside our place of work. And um, I think that's my pit of the week in inverted commas I think just that and on a on a more serious note just that feeling unsafe at work um, that hasn't been that fun and you know it's something that we are used to as journalists and have become somewhat accustomed to but I still think it's worth highlighting that it wasn't really that fun having to kind of watch your back keep your head down you know, drive home different ways, all of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it wasn't... Yeah, it was, it was wild times, wasn't it? It was, yeah. it was. And I think we need to, you know, I think it's worth kind of noting and talking about what was your interesting thing. So I thought a fascinating piece of legislation uh, went through their house recently. It's been a long time in the making. That's our drug driving um, legislation. Um a really interesting thing here. It was actually the Green Party that helped introduce this legislation to the house a few years back. Um and yet, at the very last moment, at the third reading, the Green Party pulled their support for their own bill that they'd introduced. So basically what will happen, um, so the police haven't quite figured out what device they'll use, but if you come to a checkpoint, they think from next year, it's possible you'll get saliva tested. So they'll, you know, a, a bit like a um, a bit like a, um, a rat test, but they'll test the inside of, inside of your mouth. And they're looking for about 25 different drugs and it depends which device they choose um, but it's possible if you tested um, if you tested positive over two different tests because the technology isn't that flash so if you fail the first one they make you do the second but they'll be looking at about 25 different um, drugs including um, uh, cannabis, meth, cocaine, ketamine and a whole lot of legal ones as well um, like your kind of opioids like oxycodone um, and tramadol as well and you won't get prosecuted you just get a, um, an infringement fine if you fail two tests um, the catch there being, um, if you did fail um, two tests and you're going to get an infringement fine and you said, I want to go for a blood test, and you fail that blood test, then you could indeed be prosecuted um, for driving under the influence of drugs. Um, so yeah, uh, National, uh, rather ironically, has accused the government of um, taking far too long to introduce this bill, which is ironic because it on at least three different times, the former national government took drug driving legislation to the um, to cabinet and decided that this technology wasn't uh, far enough advanced. So they so they always turned it down, which is also why um, uh, Chloe Swarbrick from the Greens um, and the Greens pulled their support at the last minute, saying there simply isn't enough scientific evidence to determine whether or not you're actually impaired just if they can detect a trace of a drug, particularly. That's particularly important if you come across something like cannabis that can stay in your system for quite a long time after you've used it. So yeah, I thought that was a kind of fascinating piece of legislation that finally got through the house. Yeah, and it's something you've been doing for a long time as mm -hmm. well. Um, one of the joys I'd like to highlight um, for me over the last couple of weeks um, have been David Seymour's one-liners. Um, he may not be doing quite as well as in the, in the polls as he was before, but um, his one-liners are still sky high, in my opinion. Um, the one yesterday was, you know, it's going to take an eternity to get through um, all of these changes. I loved that line. There was also an analogy um, back to friends saying that um, it was going to take about as long as the debate over whether Ross and Rachel were on a break and there were there were um, belly laughs from 
those reporters of, our, of us that are in our 30s and 40s. A um, couple of really confused expressions from some of the younger journalists in the press gallery, but um, in, in a quite troubling time, um, those one-liners are, are giving me um, some life. In the taking in our Dernity and the um, Ross and Rachel reference, of course, uh, in relation to the government um, taking what he perceives to be an ex- incredibly long time to, to announce the changes it's going to make. Um, when it comes to our COVID restrictions, of course, those changes, even though the decisions were made yesterday at Cabinet, those changes will be announced tomorrow. Uh, widely expected that um, vaccine passes will go or be severely reduced and other changes. I think they're looking at whether to um, move us out of traffic lights and stuff as well, uh, or down, you know, maybe to orange or out of that red light traffic setting. Did you have any other note? No? Interesting thing. Um, well, I, I, think guess, it, I guess we've got our poll. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. rather interesting, so let's, let's have a talk about that. And this was a... a I, I don't like to use unnecessary adjectives to describe a poll, but this was a bit of a game changer. And it had National ahead of Labour for the first time um, since they've been in power. The Prime Minister had dropped support. Christopher Luxon had climbed up as well. And it was just, there was a lot going on in that poll. So it was a big one. And I think it prompted some quite um, interesting reactions. It's given the National Party a bit of a, a bounce, a bit of... Um, they're quite buoyed by those numbers and it's also um, caused the government to sort of have a have a good long hard look at itself even if it says that it's not so yeah it was a big one it, it was and I thought not only did we see national really climb up and, and, and leapfrog labor in this but we we asked a slightly different variation on our preferred prime minister um, uh, supplementary question that we asked and, and we asked because normally we ask people, hey, who would you like to lead the country? And it's up to people to name a, a politician that they would like to, um, you know, to lead the country. And Jacinda Ardern sort of commonly comes out and, you know, heavily in front. Uh, but what we asked this time was, who would you like to lead the country or who would you prefer to lead the country, Jacinda Ardern or Christopher Luxon? And it was almost, they were almost bang on even, right? I think it was 45%. To 46. Um, yeah, 45% Lux and 46 um, just in return. So mm-hmm. really showing that he has picked up a lot of popularity when you ask the question that way. And a growing number of New Zealanders, you know, would would be comfortable seeing him in charge. I agree with that to some extent, but I also think that it shows the right-left divide. And I think, yep, I, you're right that he is growing support, but I do think that um, it... it reflects that actor national versus Labour and the Greens. And I think people are voting down political party lines in that question because they're only given those two options. So, I, I mean, that's another point to it all. But it was one of the points on Twitter, um, I was, people were saying, oh, you know, on I'd said on breakfast that, you know, we had written the poll and it was something that you'd suggested when you'd looked at the Aussie polls and we thought, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And we'd, we write the draft poll poll questions and then our pollsters tweak them and that's how the process works. And they were like, oh, she made it sound as though um, she writes the poll questions. And I was just saying, who do they who do they think writes the poll questions? Like it's just, um, mm-hmm. you know, a, a magical poll pixie fairy. So I think just behind the scenes, that is a process. We have a bit of a brainstorm in a group of us about which questions we think would be relevant and, and would um, produce interesting news stories for the members of the public. And um, we all chip in with those ideas yeah, and then and, they're and, tweaked and especially by the socially yeah. if there's a big issue going Absolutely, on or yeah. something you know and you want to kind of judge 
how the public are feeling about this. And this is a great way to do that, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a snapshot of, of, of what the public is thinking about a, about a key issue. And it is a snapshot at that time. And I think, um, you know, the government's argument was, oh, look, it's a perfect storm of everything going on. And yeah, that's true. But that was the moment in time. And things may shift around and may change in the next poll. When we do it again, we, we tend to do... Um, you know, tend to do them every couple of months. Um, we're we're polling regularly and consistently, um, even in non-election years. And it'll be interesting to see what the next set of numbers show. Yeah, and looking back at our, our recent poll, though, also you know it wasn't just national that was a that really um, was a big winner here, but Te Party Māori had um, you know quite a lot of influence here, didn't they? Yeah, well, it puts them into the kingmaker, queenmaker, power player seat, and it turns them into the decider of who gets to form a government. And there's a few things at play here. They have said they won't work with ACT at the moment, um, and they have said that they won't rule out working with National. What we saw last time when um, Te Pāti Māori went with the National Party, they dived in support at the next election and really struggled. But I think they're very keen, in a very smart political way, not to tie their flag to the Labour Party and to keep people uh, guessing and to perhaps have the influence of power because that's when you get the things that you want is when you are in in that driving seat. And um, speaking to Rawati Waititi, he um, very much enjoyed that. Um, he felt very comfortable in that power chair from my impression. Yeah, I bet. Yes, <laughs> nice indeed. But I think, <coughs> sorry, you go. Oh. I was going to say one of the other interesting things in the poll as well was that we asked about mandates and um, because Mikey and Benedict were both um, off um, recovering from the dreaded COVID, um, Kushla Norman did a really good job of, of tying that together. She'd also been covering the protest, so it worked really well. But she did a story on um, whether the people think the government handled um, the protest well. But a really interesting question was another poll question of do you um, think that that mandates should be in place and the support for mandates has dropped away since we asked about it last year and we asked the same question so we're able to compare like for like and I thought that was really telling um, that you know we've kind of got through we've got high vaccination rates and people are feeling less like mandates are necessary um, so I think that reflects tomorrow what we're going to see um, with the government um, phasing out those mandates as well, but you know, it was meant to be the hot topic of the protest. Yeah, and I think um, the last time um, the National Party um, was polling ahead of Labour was back in February 2020, um, just before the pandemic really kicked off, um, and shortly before they rolled their leader at the time, Simon Bridges. Uh, and Mr Bridges, shortly after our poll and uh, his, his party reviving its fortunes, uh, made a, an announcement that he was exiting politics rather abruptly. Really interesting political move. And he said that, look, I want. he wanted to go when the timing was... He said it wasn't just about the National Party, but that, you know, the fact that they were doing well on the polls made him feel better about leaving. So I just think it was really interesting. It just felt like... Um, you know, National had finally had a couple of good weeks that have had a few good wins on things like the cost of living. They'd had this poll which had seen them, um, you know, feeling a lot better. And then, what is it, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then four days later, their um, very senior, experienced member 
resigns. And that's all we talk about for two days. Yeah, it's so, just, I mean, I, I felt it was just bizarre. I mean, he have he, he contested the leadership at the end of last year, you know, fought, fought to the last minute before taking, you know, probably the most prized position behind the leader in the party, you know, and, and, and really seemed to be gelling well in that role. You know, he's giving Grant Robertson a run for his money every day um, in the House. He was performing, you know, he seemed to be, you know, really taking a shine to that position of National's finance spokesperson, getting his head around the role. And then, yeah, just a, a couple of months after you've fought for the leadership of the party, you've got that finance spokesperson role, you, you know, you, you quit. I mean, the most important thing is that he could have been finance minister in a mm. year and a half. And that's a very, for those who are in the political world, that is a um, very sparkling crown to have sitting there. I mean, there's no guarantee, of course. There's no guarantee because, A, he might not actually get it when it comes to the crunch next year, and, B, National might not be uh, national might be in opposition again. Um I think it's one thing that I thought was quite interesting, and I've only seen teasers of this in the um, in the women's magazines. But do you remember when? Oh, I, haven't, um, I haven't caught up with those myself. Uh, that's okay. I'll keep across yeah, yeah. it for you because this you. is very relevant to our podcast. So you're welcome. But do you remember when Christopher Luxon went to Tauranga to do that show of unity with with um, Simon Bridges? And, and yeah, and his, and his child had the accident at school and been chopped up. Yeah, so the women's magazines are saying, you know, doing this, the sort of tease saying, you know, the moment that we kind of realise that family needs to come first. And I I haven't read the inside story, but it it did remind me of that time that, um, you know, he got pulled away to go and um, see his son in hospital. And I wonder if, if that was one of those moments that if he was kind of teetering on the edge, he thought, I'm done. This is, you know, this is more important. This gives me a bit of perspective. And we can't go inside the head of Simon Bridges, but, you know, I wonder if that had um, more of an impact on him than perhaps um, he led on. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, possibly. And, I mean, if, if you are going to go, good to go, give them lots of advance warning, right? If, if, if your heart's uh, not in it, if you have to go, good that it's he's It's better not out. to have a by-election, though. Well, that's what I was going to yeah, talk about next, right? Oh, this, is, this, is, this is the problem <laughs> yeah. for, the, for the National Party is whether or not they're going to be able to hold the Tauranga seat. Right? And it's not a given. No, because Bridges didn't have a huge majority. 1,800. 1,800, right, at the last last election. Now you've created this this whole new um, uh, race in, in, in a seat that they'd held after they took an absolute hiding at the last election. Uh, and, it, you know, I think it's going to throw up all sorts of... Um, you know, interesting things. I wouldn't, you know, I would be surprised if Winston Peters didn't contest that seat as well, try and win back his old seat. Um, you know, I, th- I think it's going to be an interesting by-election. It'll be interesting to see who um, National find to contest it. Yeah, and I think there's, um, you know, a few names in the mix. I think National have some issues with um, gender and diversity in their caucus. Um, I think that they um, they they may wish to present um, a different, you know, some kind of diversity in that candidate, but they may not be able to. They may want to have someone who's been, um, who's a bit seasoned in politics, especially going up against Winston Peters. I do think there was a, there's some kind of nice symmetry to the way that um, Winston Peters and Simon Bridges are interacting with each other. You know, um, Simon Bridges you know, took over that um, that Tauranga seat and now his departure potentially opens the door again for Winston Peters. And I do remember um, 
standing when when Simon Bridges first won that seat of Tauranga the day after the election, um, doing an interview with him and Natalie on the beach in Tauranga after the election. Um, you know, and he was the rising star of the National Party and already being talked about as a leader and all of that kind of stuff. And just um, reflecting on that time and then the time that he's been in politics and, and gone to the leader. And I don't know, it just makes you realise that timing is a lot to do with things in politics and where people end up. And yeah, but a big loss for the National Party um, in, a, in a really critical time. Yeah, and when you look at, you know, the huge amount of experience that they've lost in the last last couple of years and then they're just getting back on steady footing and they, you know, lose one of their most experienced campaigners. Yeah. The other thing I really would like to talk about um, just for the last couple of minutes is this protest. And we've talked about it at length. We've covered it at length. Um, but I just thought it would be quite a good thing for us to reflect on our own experience of the protest, just to give um, listeners a bit of an insight, because this is the stuff we perhaps haven't talked about on TV quite as much. Um, I think from my perspective, I had a slightly different um different experience for, a hand, for in terms of hands-on. I was, um, because of my role and, and because of the fact that my face is on TV um, most nights, it's harder for me to go out in the public and amongst the protesters um, with any form of anonymity. And that's part of the gig and not a big deal, but just probably not a smart thing to do with the protesters. So I feel like um, some of the experience I, I watched a bit more from afar. On that day that we had the riot, we stood up, um, the speaker allowed us to go onto the um, Beehive balcony. So we'd been on the Parliament balcony, but the Beehive balcony. And it was just the most incredible position because we were standing basically right in the middle of the police and the protesters. And we could look down into what was happening and you know covered a lot of protests and seen a lot of stuff happening but this was at our workplace and I think you know we saw concrete blocks um, we saw um, things being thrown bits of metal tables um, we saw sticks we saw um, you know some quite intense violence and as the police moved down um, they were bringing the injured police officers back to behind the lines and they were getting first aid just down below us. So um, what I guess would be a very intimate moment usually, you know, you've you've broken your leg, you've um, cut your head and bleeding, we were able to look down. And I think there are moments there that it just feels more real when it's your own backyard. And I think... Um, yeah, it was just a, it was one of those moments we were reporting live through the whole thing. Um, and I love that kind of reporting, that real live action. Um, you know, I really, I live for that stuff in a work sense. I really enjoy it. But it was, yeah, it was just one of the, um, one of the big, big moments that I won't forget. And I felt very present, I think, because it was where we were every day. What was your experience? Well, I mean, it was a fascinating few weeks. Um, So every day I I catch the train into the city and to walk between the Wellington train station and Parliament, you basically had to walk through the middle of the the protests through hundreds and hundreds of cars. And, and, you know, a a lot of people, you know, there are all these stories about, you know, children being harassed, people being harassed for wearing masks and stuff like that. I didn't personally experience any of that. There were always 
perfectly friendly, but uh, you know, and often say good day or good morning to me as I was sort of walking through. But yeah, uh, the I guess the problem for me, I think, was you know catching the train home at the end of the day, and there'd be anti-vaxxers on the train harassing people wearing masks. You know, you know, which I thought was pretty disgusting. But you know, at, at times I thought it was. You know, there, there were parts of the protest that got to pr- pretty funny. Um, it, one of the first weekends, like this terrible storm came through Wellington, and I thought, oh, this will clear them out. They won't be able to withstand this wild weather. And that was the um, not not only did they withstand it, they withstood um, Trevor Mallard's playing of Baby Shark and turning on the sprinklers. And not only did they withstand it, they seemed to take it. They seemed to thrive upon it. Um, and watching that footage of all them all dancing to the Macarena and Baby and the Baby Shark and and lapping it up and loving it, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I, th- I also thought, um, yeah, when it, like tactically. It was interesting because I thought all they had to do was come around the back of Parliament and block that entrance, and they would have shut Parliament down completely. And they never did that. Um, so it was interesting to see so many of them on, on the you know out the front of Parliament, and yet you know they didn't really bring Parliament to a stop, and they could have very very easily. Had, I mean, had, had there they weren't many to. people left in the building on those last few days, except for us. To be fair. Yeah. Yeah, so they, absolutely. But yeah. I just think, yeah, yeah. tactically there was right. But I mean, you know, watching, you know, night after night after night, you're watching, we'd watch people, you know, on, on social media, on the television, you know, with just the most warped senses of reality. You know, these counterspin guys, you know, calling on the defence force to come and overthrow the government. Um, people with all these. You know, who spend their lives going down rabbit holes about conspiracies, about you know the virus not being real. You know, not one single protester there would wear a mask. You know, not one of them. You know, just wild, wild conspiracies. And it's a you know, it's it's a fascinating to look out there at these crowds of people who are totally won over by conspiracy theories, who spend so much time on social media that that for them nothing is real. Right, there there is no virus, or it's a conspiracy, or the vaccine is a conspiracy, and it just doesn't end, you know. And it, even when they get COVID, you watch them, you know, on their social media media channels talking and and gasping for air and coughing, and, and you know, and accusing the government of using imaginary weapons on them. You know, it's it's not that they have COVID. And a large number of reporters and camera operators who went into those crowds to cover the protests got COVID. Um, as as did I on the day of the riots, um, and so yeah, sort of missed one of the biggest days ever at Parliament. Oh yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to make too much of that, <laughs> <laughs> but it was mm. but it was from a journalist point of view, it was it was a big. It was thing. incredible. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. And um, I, I, one of the, the the footage I always I think about quite a lot is that car that. Um, was uh, down at an intersection not far from Parliament, reversing up at those police lines, and I think that the back windscreen had been smashed. I'm not sure by whom, um, but and I, and I just remember seeing that and thinking, "Wow, you know, if this was America, there'd be 200 bullet holes in that car right now. You know, the, the, that driver would have been gunned down." And you know, I thought the police showed a huge amount of restraint. And, and to be, you know, in the protesters, it got ugly at the end. But I think when you come in like that with, you know, right police, things are going to get ugly. Mm. Yeah, mm. it was a very. Um, there, it definitely wasn't an old school kind of policing that we saw on that day with the riots. Yep, they had their batons um, on their hips, but they weren't um, being they weren't used as a hold. Yeah. No, nah, it was very yeah. defensive. And even just things like um, you know having these big shields and the way that police bounced off bricks off themselves, and you just 
it, yeah, it just is one of those things that you think that just looks like a game, and it's not. If you don't do that, you'll get hit in the head with a brick, and that could be, you know, that could be life threatening. It's and, just and, and for all those police there that day, probably for nearly all of them, would never have been in a riot like that before, right? We just don't have riots like that in New mm. Zealand, and ha- yeah. well, haven't for three or four decades, right? They, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure they get trained, but been, um, you know. To, to cope with those sort of tactics. 100%. But putting that into practice and being up against yeah. I think know, with an the, angry, angry mob. Absolutely, and with the overarching fact that we're in a global pandemic mm-hmm. and if they breathe or spit on you, that, you know, you could get sick. And that's another, you know, another thing that they weren't, wouldn't have been used to. There was a really um, big moment and it was in between... I can't remember, quite remember if we were live on air or in between life crosses, but it looked like police lost control of the intersection at Lambton Quay. And you could see them getting it back. And we learnt later they used some of the... Um, um, sponge. Sponge rounds. bullets. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say rubber bullets, but sponge bullets. And um, they got it back, but they it definitely lost control um, for a little bit there. And that was really interesting, thinking, oh, this could turn quite quickly... Um, and, you know, thinking about where you are and the position of that and all of those things. But, yeah, I think, I mean, just some as we finish off, a couple of things. You know, we, both of us, have been doing this for a long time and have both, both covered a lot of protests, and we've always danced a line between protesters and um, what they are protesting against. That's our job to report on both sides. And um, often we would be, I, I remember the... Um, TPP protest literally being between the police and the police line and the protest line and they would allow a little space for us to film so we could uh, get both sides of it and I think you know you you definitely get a bit of argy-bargy every now and then but it's not I think we've always been um, just as much and you know express the side of the protesters as the side of the those that they're protesting against so I think there's that, and I think you know the fact of protesting at the front of Parliament is a hugely important thing for us to be able to do, and something we would um, we would support and rally against if it any, you know we would rally against if it if anyone were to say that we that members of the public couldn't do that. I think that's really important, but just this was different, and I think that's um, and you know there were some people who were legitimately protesting there, but this got ugly, this got personal, there were death threats. There were um, threats that were um, about hanging. There were, um, you know, reporters followed home. There, it was just, there was a, this was different. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's, you know, we're importing the US kind of Steve Bannon, Donald Trump, you know, fake news, media of the enemy, enemy of the people, all these, you know, this kind of US anti-expert, anti-government kind of mentality, you know. Yeah. Well, shall we leave it there? We shall. Yeah. Anyway, this was One News Inside Parliament, our regular catch-up about the political stories and protests we've been covering. We're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. It's available most weeks on One News Online. You can check us out on your favourite podcasting app.